Turn with me in your Bible to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. We're going to continue along in the series we've been on. Started last week called Zeal for the House of Prayer. Zeal for the House of Prayer. I am excited about this message. I hope you guys like it. I know I'm going to like it. I'll tell you why as we get rolling, but I think I'm going to do two parts on the book of Nehemiah. I think we're just going to do part one, part two in Nehemiah right in the middle of this series on zeal for the house of prayer. I remember it must have been, I would say, about ten years ago. I was in a prayer meeting with some, uh, some youth pastors. I used to lead a youth pastors network, and... Uh, in, in the city of Atlanta, and we used to have 30 or 40 youth pastors come. We'd do a luncheon and uh, just, you know, do scheduling and events and different things together. And and uh, and so I remember we were in this one prayer meeting, and one of the brothers, he began to prophesy to me, and he said, I see like a mantle, uh, like n- the mantle like Nehemiah is on you, and you are one that's called to build the wall. And, you know, I, good. I mean, I, I didn't have any real application for building the wall, whatever that was. And I just thought, hey, that, that's a good thing. Want to build a wall sometime, somewhere, somehow. Praise the Lord. It just, you know, it was a prophetic word, but it was encouraging. And he said, you know, I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to fight with you to help you to build this wall. And I didn't really ever know what that meant. And that word, Nehemiah, has come up. Over and over for me, over the years, uh, as one called like Nehemiah to build the wall. And I, and I thought, you know, that's interesting. I just never really connected to, to what that point was, the, the wall building issue. And um, several years ago, just a few years ago, we, uh, we began to look at the book of Nehemiah as it relates to the house of prayer. And seeing that the building of the wall and, and this which Nehemiah did... Um, actually really parallels the journey uh, in building the house of prayer and actually building night and day prayer. And In fact, the, uh, the purpose for, for building the wall, that, and that's what Nehemiah is really known for, was to bring protection to the city where the temple had been rebuilt. And so uh, without the wall in place, the city is vulnerable and the, the temple is vulnerable. But with the wall in place, the city is fortified and the temple is protected. And so the idea is this. The building of the wall has to do with everything to do with preserving night and day prayer. And so uh, I have never actually taught uh, a lesson out of Nehemiah. And I'm excited to do that this morning. So I feel like the Lord has kind of just got me feeling good about this. Let me lay out a little bit of uh, history for you, just so you can get your minds around the story. In 600 B.C., I'm just going to speak in round numbers, roughly, the Babylonian Empire, they sweep down on Jerusalem, and they besiege Jerusalem. They do it in three waves. In 600, they take some folks captive, and, and, and then in 586, they destroy the temple. So it's over about a 20-year period of time. 
606-596-586. They siege and destroy Jerusalem. Babylon does. And they, they, this is where Daniel and Ezekiel, they end up going into captivity in Babylon. And so from 606 to roughly 535, the Jews are not in their land. They're in Babylon in captivity. And in 535... Uh, about 50,000 Jews returned to Israel to rebuild the temple. That was the main point. And so it takes them about 20 years. It really only takes them about three and a half, but they, they paused for 16 years. So about 20 years later, about 515 B.C., they get the temple rebuilt. Now, fast forward another 50 plus years, 60 years or roughly, and you get Ezra, the scribe and priest, and he comes and he calls the people to righteousness and to live righteously before God. And his main issue is this, the issue of intermarrying with uh, the women of foreign nations and, and going after foreign gods. And, and so Ezra brings a reform. And then about 14, 15 years later in 444, Nehemiah comes on the scene. So we're about 150 years after the Babylonian captivity began. We're about 100 years, give or take, after Israel comes back in the land. The temple has been rebuilt, but here we are with the temple being rebuilt. But the walls of Jerusalem have been in ruins for 150 years. Now just think in your mind and go to any historic place where the you know, they, that the stone structures or the, the wooden structures, they, you know, they've been bombed out or whatever, and they're 150-year-old uh, ruins. That's what the wall of Jerusalem looked like. Now, a city with a no wall back in that day, that was a, a really big issue. Today, we don't think of, you know, a wall around a city like, why would you need a wall? We don't have a wall. But back in that day, a wall around the city was the premier uh, line of defense for the city. If they didn't have a wall, they're completely susceptible to all the surrounding peoples, and they, can, they basically weren't even seen as viable, because you can just get overrun any time, and that would happen. Uh, marauding bands of raiders would come through and, and loot and just do whatever they wanted. There was no real, um, you know, central group in that city, because they didn't have a wall, and they weren't protected, and so hardly anybody actually lived in the city of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is serving the king of the Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire was, the, at that time, the primary uh, empire over the entire Middle East. From about Egypt all the way up to the border of India, if you can kind of get a picture of the Middle East. From Egypt all the way over to India, and as far north as Greece and over. And so they are controlling everything, and Nehemiah is Jewish. And he's the cupbearer for the king, Artaxerxes. And so, you know, we kind of think of the cupbearer, the guy that brings the king his wine, we kind of think butler. But back in that day, the cupbearer, he wasn't like a butler. I mean, he would taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poison for the king. But he would sit with the king in council all the time. He was actually one of the senior advisors to the throne because he was always with the king. In fact, You'll see it, and it's, it's actually even mentioned if you go back through and you read the book of Nehemiah, perhaps this week you should do that. But uh, 
you'll see that the, he's sitting there and he's actually with the king while the queen is there too, which was very unheard of back in that day that any of the subjects or any of the, the, the royal authorities would be allowed actually there in the, the throne room with the king while the queen was there with him. And so Nehemiah is intimate with the king. He's of a, a high-level government official. He's the cupbearer. He's very trusted. To be the cupbearer, you've got to be totally trusted. And so Nehemiah gets uh, his brother, goes and in, 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 in is in Jerusalem, and his brother comes and visits him in Persia, in the capital city of Persia. And his brother shows up, and Nehemiah says, hey, how's, how's it going? Like in Jerusalem, how are the captives doing? And how is everything? And his brother says, it's bad. <laughs> it's real bad. And we'll pick up the story, and I'm just going to take us through about six chapters of the story and, and draw out, I mean, just really good thoughts from Nehemiah. So chapter one, right there, here's the response from Hanani, that's Nehemiah's brother. He says, this, uh, they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. In verse 4, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. It hadn't occurred to these guys the state of the city of Jerusalem or the state of those that had come from uh, exile in Babylon back to, to Jerusalem to, to reestablish the nation. They just hadn't gotten their minds around it. So when Hanani goes and sees it and comes back and, and tells Nehemiah, he goes, listen, the wall is completely burned down. I mean, the place is a, it's a total shambles. And I mean, there's, you know, if you can think about the city, it's got a great temple there in the middle, but it's surrounded by these ruins of the, the Babylonian destruction of the city and and. And the people are in great distress. I mean, they're, they're, they're undergoing challenges from the surrounding areas. And, and while the whole place was under the governance of Persia, the surrounding peoples, they all hated the Jews. You had the Ammonites and the Moabites and just the differentites. And those ites didn't like the Israelites. They, just, they, they all had attitude with the Jews. And so they said the people are in great distress the wall is broken down. The gates are burned. They're under reproach. And this, this strikes Nehemiah in the heart. And the commentators will, t will tell you that Nehemiah is seen as the first Israeli patriot. He's understood as the first lover of his country that's, that's, that's a Jew. Because here he is. He's in the palace in, in Persia, in Susa. He's, he's got the best job ever. I mean, I guess if the king gets poisoned, it's not the best job. But besides that, he's got a really, really good job. He's making a lot of money. He's in a uh, very comfortable, you know, a very comfortable situation. And all of a sudden, when he hears about the state of his brothers that are there in, in Jerusalem, he gets pierced and he gets gripped over this issue. And the scripture tells us right there that he goes and he goes in fasting and mourning and weeping for many days over this. And he's, he is touched. He's like, this is not right that the state of my people should be in this situation. And it's not right because the house of prayer, the temple, is susceptible to destruction. So long as there's no wall, there's no protection, then there's going to be no uh, real 
confidence that the people can continue to worship the Lord, which is the whole reason that they were sent back to Israel in the first place. Set up the temple and to worship the Lord. And, and so he gets really moved over this, and he goes into prayer. And what he does is he asks the Lord to give him favor with the king and to say to, that he would send him back, send him to Jerusalem as the governor and give him provisions so he can oversee a project to build the wall, to strengthen the people, to fortify the city, and to protect the house of prayer. And so he goes into the king, and the king says, Hey, what's the matter? <laughs> you look like you've been crying. And, and the scripture reads he's never seen him that way. The king had never seen Nehemiah this downcast, this distraught. And the king says, Hey, so what's happening? He goes, and, it said, and Nehemiah said, He goes, I was worried <laughs> when the king asked me this. I, I was afraid, and he said, listen, the, the, my people and, and the, the city of where the tombs of my fathers dwell, it's in complete reproach, and the wall is broken down. He said, I'm asking you to, to send me there, that I would be a governor over the area, that I could rebuild the wall, and furthermore, I want you to give me letters to the guys that are over the king's forest and the surrounding governors that we would be supplied for and you'd pay for the wall. He goes, I want to go back and lead the deal and I want you to pay for it. How's that sound? The king looks at him and says, when are you coming back? Now that's a, that's a, that's a, a buying signal. <laughs> when the king says, when are you coming back, as the answer, that means you're going to get to go. And so Nehemiah gets sent by the king of Persia to go back and build the wall. And he shows up in Jerusalem. When he first shows up, he's got, a, he's got a military escort so he can make it from Susa to Jerusalem. He's got a military escort. He shows up. He doesn't tell any of the Jews what he's doing. He sends the letter to the governors that are around the area, and they're kind of like not happy with it. They begin to grumble, have sort of a negative attitude. They don't really do anything just yet. And then finally, he goes around the city. He's there for three days, and, and Nehemiah goes around the city, and he surveys the, the wall, and it's all destroyed. It's, it's a complete shambles. It's a mess. And so he, he gathers the leaders and the people to him, and he says, listen, we're going to do this. We're going to build the wall. That's why I'm here. And so in, in verse 18 of chapter 2, it reads this way. It says, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, See, because when he went into the king and he got that level of favor, he knew the Lord was in this. He'd fasted, he'd prayed, he'd sought the Lord. And when he goes into the king and the king says, go ahead and do it, and you just tell me when you're going to come back, he understands this is God. God's doing this. He says, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been a good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And so the people answered, let us rise up and build. I love that. Let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. You can kind of get the picture. Nehemiah goes in with the leaders and he goes, let me tell you the prophetic swirl that I'm in. Hanani came back. He told me that the city was in this bad shape. He goes, I started fasting and praying and I just feel like really seriously urged to ask the king to pay for the whole wall and, and to send me there to do it. I went in, and you know, he said yes on every point. And so he shares his prophetic story. He says, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to build the wall. And these, these leaders of the, of, the, of the city of Jerusalem, 
and, and of the people in Israel, they hadn't given any time, any thought to building the wall. So when he shows up and he says, this is what we're going to do, here's the prophetic story. You can see the movement of the Lord upon their hearts because they immediately say, let us rise up and build. Let's do this thing. And I just think about different ones in the body of Christ. I think about my story. I think about, you know, Mike Bickle. And I just think about different ones. When, when people share the prophetic story of how the Lord put them where they're at, and they'll show up and say, now here's what God's saying to me. And then there's a company that will gather and they'll say, come on, let's do it. And I think about the early days of the house of prayer here where I would show up. I, I was living in Kansas City and I would show up every other month and I would just show up and, and, and we'd do a meeting and we might have, you know, 100 people or 150, maybe 200 people show up to these interest meetings and I would just share what the Lord was saying and what the Lord was doing. And out of that group, there was a, a small group that gathered and they said, let us rise up and build. Let's go for this thing. Let's build a house of prayer. And so uh, I love it. It says, then they set their hands to this good work. There's a point I want to make, and I'm going to make it a couple times probably. But we kind of have this impression, sometimes we do, that when the Lord is leading us to do a, a thing, that there doesn't need to be a lot of work involved. We kind of think if the Lord is leading us to do it, you're just going to sort of like get carried on the winds of grace. It's going to flow in the Spirit, and everything is just going to be favor and sweetness and ease. Because the Lord's, you know, his, uh, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And, uh, you know, it doesn't need to... You're not going to really have to work. You're just going to have to, you know, love on Jesus. And people kind of think that about, about the house of prayer. Kind of like, you know, you just, oh, you get to worship and pray all day? Well, what do you do? Like, don't you work? I'm like, oh, if you only knew, friend. Because the challenge of prayer, I mean, that's hard. Six to eight hours a day in prayer, that's difficult. But all the machinery that goes on to make a 24-hour ministry run, have you considered? Like a 9-to-5 job out there, okay, that's one thing. But do the Waffle House. All sorts of weird stuff happens at 2 a.m. I mean, it take, it's a totally different paradigm to keep it going 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now try that with church. And so there's quite a bit of work involved. But it says they set, I love it, they set their hands to this good work. And that's what it takes. Anything in God takes a people who, will, who they will get moved on by the Spirit of the Lord. They'll hear the vision and they'll set their hands to the work. Set their hands to the work. I love that. So in chapter 3, here's what you get. In chapter 3, you get the list of all the families that set their hands to the work. And what they did was this. The families, they picked a section of the wall and they said, this is our area. We're going to work on this area of the wall. We're going to build it from here to here. This area is our responsibility. We're going to make sure that this gets built. And you know what? This is what we're going to do. This is our part. This is our portion. We're going for it right here. And you get the list of all the folks in, in uh, chapter 3 and I just have to mention this and look at verse five. It just, it just kind of, it just kind of caught me funny. But the 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 Tekoites, just a, one of the the families uh, of, the, of the children of Israel, says, 
Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. If you, get to, if you read Nehemiah a little bit, you, he's totally jabbing those guys right there. He goes, oh, yeah, the Tekoites were working. He goes, yeah, but actually their, their main, like the rich guys in the Tekoites, they didn't want to do any work. Just want to mention that. I mean, that's, that's kind of how Nehemiah does it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Nehemiah, a little jab. The point is, everybody came together, and they did what was necessary. You ever been in those, you know, those projects, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a, you were in a church building project one time, or, because this is really good for church building projects. We're not doing a building project, by the way, just mention that. But, you know, they'll use this for church building projects. Have you ever been in that time where everybody came together, and they did what they could to make sure the task got accomplished? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it was a I don't know, maybe you had to refurbish or do some work together, some sort of a, a building project, or maybe it was a, a thing where everybody was giving to the same project. Or, but, you know, I, I can remember, especially when I was in college, we had a small college ministry, and I remember that the, uh, the parking lot, and the, there was a, a bunch of, this parking lot was kind of nestled in a kind of a wooded area, and I remember it was as if nobody had done any yard work on that parking lot in about 20 years or something. I mean, they said, hey, we're all going to get out here, and we're all going to do this. And so we got out there, and we started cleaning. Well, there was a handful of us that we were the all, but we got out there, and I remember we were cutting through vines and roots that had grown up. And I remember this root had actually grown up through the fence, and I was back there hacking it with some sort of a machete. But the thing that was, there was this, this interesting sensation I was getting as we were doing it all together. It was so hard. The work was so difficult. But we were doing it all together. There was this camaraderie and moving forward. You know what I'm saying? And, and my heart was just stirred to be there with my brothers going for this thing to clean our parking lot. And, uh, you know, I remember saying out of my mouth, because I'm digging these roots up and I'm dirty and it's hard. And, I mean, who let the root grow through the, the fence, like, you know, for 20 years? This is ridiculous. And I'm thinking to myself, you couldn't, I said it out of my mouth. I go, you couldn't pay me to do this. And then, which begs the question, well, why are you? <laughs> and, and the point is, it's, there's something right in God about me being next to my brothers, going for this together to see the common purpose accomplished. And that's what these guys did. Chapter 3 names all the names, all the families, and they just basically got all out there, except for the Tekoites. They all got out there, and they just worked. They put their hand to it. They gave of themselves. They rallied behind Nehemiah's prophetic swirl and his vision that he was burning in his heart. And they come out there together and they go, yeah, we're doing this. And he lists all the families. And they all took responsibility for their area. In the house of prayer, we kind of have that. We have sections. The sections are six-hour blocks that happen daily. And the six-hour blocks are broken down into two hours. And, and our staff and our family and those that are committed, we, we have two-hour slots that we, I look at those two-hour slots like our place building the wall together you know and if I'm not building in my spot who's going to and there's this camaraderie together when 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 I'm building and and the person next to me is building and and that person over there they're building and we're continually building like I don't go to bed at night going huh I wonder if the night watch is going to show up I know they're going to show up. You know why? Because they've taken responsibility for their spot of the wall. 
and they continue to build while I'm sleeping and having visions of sugar plums. They're in here laboring in prayer, crying out. And this is how we operate. This is one of the core realities of our community. We take responsibility to see that night and day prayer, it never ceases in our city. And I'll tell you, at times, our, our ranks are weak. They're thin. I mean, come in here in some of the early morning hours, or come in here in some of the evening hours, or come in here anytime, really. I mean, it's, it's lean a lot. And, and we, we could use strength. We could use, you know, the Lord giving us more staff. We really could, and so I asked the Lord for that. But we could even use our, our family and our community coming along and saying, I'll take responsibility for this part of the wall. And there's that camaraderie that goes on. You're strengthened just by the fact that the guy next to you is over there and he's building too. He's, you know, he's swinging away too, and that encourages you. And so that's chapter three. Now, every single time that a people come together behind a God vision and they begin to move forward doing the God vision together, and, and they're, they're actually seeing something accomplished. Every time that happens, you're going to stir up the enemy. Come on, say amen. Totally are. That's part of it. The Lord gives us enemies. He gives us the enemy so that we can have victories. If you never had an adversary, you, could never, you would never have anything to conquer. He gives us the enemy coming against us so that we can come out victorious, so that we can be strengthened, so that we can experience the strengthening of courage, going through the challenge, the ups and downs of discouragement and, and frailty, and pressing through in the grace of God to where you, you, you emerge victorious and strengthened in heart. And so in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, we have two, there's two guys you gotta, you gotta just, if you're gonna know about Nehemiah, you gotta know about the two adversaries. Sanballat and Tobiah. That's who they are. Sanballat and Tobiah. They're a Moabite and an Ammonite. And they were the regional governors over those peoples in the area. And they hated the Jews. And so it happened, verse 1 of chapter 4. So it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant. And he mocked the Jews. He mocked the Jews. Beloved, when we come together, we set our hand together to see the kingdom of God move forward, the enemy gets furious. Really, he does. He doesn't sit there and go, oh, yeah, they're just praying over there night and day over there. Hmm. Hope it doesn't go well. He goes, what do they think they're doing? I've owned that ground since Genesis 1. I've never allowed prayer to continue ceaselessly in this county. Who do they think they are? He is enraged. He gets seriously fired up and then releases a mocking spirit. And, you know, I'll tell you, if you talk to any of the staff any amount of time, you'll find virtually every single one of them has a story of a family member or a friend or a close acquaintance, and they just start, they just, they've just mocked them. They just say, what are you doing? You're a fool. You're wasting your life. This is stupid. You're, 
you know, have you lost your mind? And that mocking spirit, I mean, it's there for sure. It's not that we, we point at the person and go, they're the devil. The enemy loves to put the words in the mouths of people. And, and those, those mockeries come forth. He, that's, he'll get, he gets angry, indignant, and furious, and he releases those mocking accusations. And so what ends up happening is they, the people, they continue, they press through that first round of, uh, of attack. And look at verse 6. I love this. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, I love this phrase, for the people had a mind to work. So here's what happened. In a very short period of time, because they were united and focused and they were moving uh, under the prophetic vision, in a very short period of time, they build the wall half as tall as they're going to build it. And they connect it all the way around the city. The only thing that's lacking is there's no gates because you can't put gates in a halfway built wall. And so the wall is fully connected up to where the gates are, all the way around the city, I mean, they are making massive progress and making it fast. And you and I have both, both experienced that when we've been involved in kingdom things where the Lord has put us together, got us focused, we start going for it, we feel the grace of the Lord, we have a mind to work, we put our hands to it, and all of a sudden, you start getting initial successes. You start getting a movement of the Spirit. All of a sudden, things start happening. And I love this phrase, for the people had a mind to work. A mind to work. So I'll just be really um, honest with this. If you are my age or younger, 40 or under, it is very unlikely, just being kind, it's very unlikely you have, have, you have been afforded the challenges in life to build in you a good work ethic. And all the older generations said amen. Our parents and our grandparents have had to work through challenges, in most cases, that 40 and under, you and I have never had to work through. And in a certain way, we've benefited because we've had so much more than they ever had but in a massive way, we've, we've not benefited. We've, we've been handicapped because we never had to work for what we got. Come on, say amen. And so what ends up happening is this. When you don't have a mind to work, you'll think you're out of God's will when you actually got to do a little good old-fashioned work. <laughs> you'll go, man, this is too hard. I mean, I, I had to work six hours today, man. This is hard. Struggling. Yeah, I got out of bed. It was, I mean, it was 8 o'clock. I mean, I, I mean, you know, 8 a.m. This is hard stuff. And I was six full hours just sitting there worshiping the Lord. You know how difficult this is? And, and our, our young generation, many of us, not all of us, but especially in the United States, we don't know what it means to have a mind to work. Come on. And because of that, when things get difficult at times, when, we, when we're putting our hand to the plow, but, but uh, there's a little bit of a challenge there, there's a, a little bit of a struggle there, all of a sudden we don't have the value for sweating a little bit. And we think if we have to sweat, if we've got to stretch, if we've got to work a little bit, we think 
This must not be the Lord. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit will fully empower and fully grace you to go for it in God and fully expect you to do some heavy lifting. Totally will. This wall that they built around the city is perfect. It's a perfect biblical example. It's an illustration of what I'm saying. There is heavy lifting in the grace of God. That's the point. In the grace of God, there's heavy lifting that we do to see kingdom purposes accomplished. They had a mind to work. And so when it's like this. When the vision is fresh and the attacks are minimal and the people are united, what ends up happening? Much progress is made. But when the vision, you know, it gets a little old, still a great vision. It's just, you know, we're used to it. And when the attacks come, and, and you know, the work gets a little challenging, many times people will pull back off of it. Now look at verse 7. So the people are, they're moving forward. They're making real progress. And look at verse 7. It says, now it happened when Sambalat and Tobiah, the Arabs, now they've stirred up the other guys, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were being, beginning to be closed, that they became very, very angry. I like that. They stirred up more demons than they'd stirred up to begin with. And I'll say this, I understand in an introductory way what that means. Once you begin to take ground, it's absolutely inevitable. The enemy will become enraged, and the spiritual attack that you had before, which before they were only dealing with uh, uh, Sambalat and Tobiah, but now he's stirred up you know, these other groups, the Ashtonites and the Ammonites, and stirred up these other, this other group, the Arabs. All of a sudden, the spiritual attack that was at a level one before, now it's at about a level five. And so whereas they were cruising before, it's gotten actually now challenging. Now look at verse 10. Then Judah said, and this is, this is what happens. This is, this is the challenge of every good kingdom expression that God calls people together to see a vision accomplished. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. The strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. What happened was this. Whereas before they made great progress, all of a sudden the circumstances seemed bigger than they'd seemed at the beginning. See, when the vision was fresh, everybody wanted to you know, attack hell with a water pistol. But, but here they are, and they've, they've, they've got halfway done, and now they're saying, there's too much rubbish. We can't do this. Well, if the wall is halfway done, there had to have been way more rubbish to begin with. <laughs> They've obviously moved a bunch of it out of the way and built that wall. But now they're saying, no, the circumstances are far too difficult, and we cannot finish. You know what happens? When the attacks of the enemy come against you, and what you're putting your hand to in God, you know what happens? All of a sudden, your circumstances seem a lot worse than they used to. They seem a lot worse than they are. 
See, when you're, when you're on top of the mountain and you're getting the word of the Lord and God's calling you into, you know, accomplishing the vision of God, you're like, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Send me the 1040 window. We're going to win them all to Jesus. It doesn't matter, God. I'll go. We come down off the mountain. We get in the valley. The enemy starts hitting us. And all of a sudden, it's like that Holy Spirit empowerment, it just kind of, you know, it just kind of wanes a little bit. And all of a sudden, Man, those circumstances, they're far more severe now. I mean, look how bad they are. And it's like, you've actually made some progress. But when the attack of the enemy comes, all of a sudden circumstances seem to, seem to be bigger. And that's what's going on with them. They're hearing the voice of the enemy. They're looking at the circumstances. And they're assessing it. And they're saying, we, we can't do this. We're, we're not able to do this. Now, if you've been around church any amount of time, you've seen this happen in the body of Christ. You've seen ministries, you've seen ministry works, you've, you've seen different things that God was breathing on. It started off, it was going awesome. I mean, it, 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 it had really gained some ground in a, in a fast, with a fast pace and a short period of time. And then all of a sudden, you've seen the thing bogged down. And, and all of a sudden, whereas it was gaining lots of ground, all of a sudden it's, it, it starts bogging down. And I'm wondering, you know, how many ministry uh, works how many kingdom plans have been short-circuited because whereas they were moving with a fresh vision when the attack of the enemy came and when the work became long all of a sudden the people decided we can't do it think about that i think that's a common thing i and i don't i think it's like this i think that in the body of Christ, what people will do is they'll start with the one thing, and, and it goes pretty good, but it doesn't accomplish what they were, it was in their heart to accomplish. And so they just, you know, they see it's, t- it's difficult. It's going to be way harder than they thought at the beginning to, to see the vision come to pass. And so they get a little bit done, and, the, and it gets difficult, and the, the enemy's attacking, and, and, and we just kind of spiritualize the thing up, and we just go, yeah, I'm just feeling called right now to do another ministry. Oh, come on. And that, I tell you what, there has got to be a stick to in our heart to see the plan of God fulfilled. There's got to be that internal anchor where we say, you know what, Lord? I am going to see the vision that you gave me through to its fulfillment regardless of the attack of the enemy. And so the laborers there, they're weary. They're saying out of their mouth, we can't do it. It's because the attacks have gotten intense. And so Nehemiah comes along and he goes, no, guys, listen. Here, here's what we're going to do. And in verse 14, he says, and I looked and arose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He gives them three points. He says, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the vision of the Lord. Remember who God is, is the idea. And remember the vision of the Lord. Don't be afraid of what the enemy can do to you. Remember who God is. And remember the vision of the Lord. Because what they were doing is they were building the wall for their, for their children and their, their daughters, their sons, and, and, and to fortify the city. This is the vision. Remember how great God is. And do not listen to the enemy that you would be afraid of him. And I love it. Nehemiah stands up, encourages the people. 
and they put their hand back to the task. Because they stop for a moment. They put their hand back to the task, and they go for it. And look at verse 17. Here's what they decided. They changed their tactics a little bit because there was a, uh, uh, an impending attack by these surrounding, these surrounding uh, governors and their peoples. And so it says, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens, they load, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Now come on. Every one of the builders had his sword girded by his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And so if the guy sounded the trumpet, everybody was going to come to where the trumpet guy was, and they were just going to start fighting. They were ready with their weapons and ready to build all at the same time. I love it. One hand they're working, the other hand they got their sword. They just keep going. There was a new resolve in them. They remembered who God was. They didn't pull back. They said, yes, we will remember the vision. We won't allow the attacks of the enemy to cause us to quit. And there is a, there is such, that's such a principle, beloved. I tell you, anything you want to do in God, it's not just building the house of prayer, but anything you want to do in God, anything God's called you to, you're going to have to build with a builder's tool in one hand and sit there with a sword in the other. I'm telling you, faith is a fight. Paul encouraged Timothy. Paul, who is, I mean, he is the proclaimer of what New Testament grace looks like. You know, somebody said, well, brother, you sound like you're getting into striving. No, listen to Paul's words to Timothy. Paul, who is accused of preaching grace too easy, Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. And there is that tension. And it's in the grace of God that we gird ourselves in the Spirit with the full armor of God and we take the sword of the Spirit. It's in the grace of God that we live as builders who are fighters. Anything you do in the kingdom, I promise you, I promise you, it will not just be dumped into your lap just free of charge. I tell you, there is a fight to faith. And what happens is we generally, we love to tell the testimonies of the supernatural quick acts of God. We love to tell the testimony of the guy that, you know, just random, bam, God did the supernatural thing to him. Those are cool stories. It it speaks to us of the truth and the existence of God. But listen, most things in the kingdom... They get done bit by bit, step by step, slowly moving, steady plodding makes for progress and great increase. Most things in the kingdom are not the, you know, blow them up, man, that was it, supernatural. Now, I believe in the blow them up supernatural, God do the thing, and wow, everybody's in awe. I believe in that, and he does that, but most things are line by line, step by step. They entail getting the whole family out there and building on the wall (laughs) with enemies mocking you and threatening to kill you. I mean, it's, it's that in God, it's like that. And you have to gird yourself with a sword and you have to have a, an instrument to build and you have to have your mind set for work. And this is how it goes, beloved. Amen. This is how it goes. 
Now, chapter 5, <laughs> the builders get discouraged again. Now, guess why they get discouraged in chapter 5? Because they don't have any money. Sounds just like the house of prayer. They've got no money. They're working. They're going for it. They're little intercessory missionaries out there with their building instrument and their sword and they're slinging away. They're not being discouraged even though the enemy is attacking. They've stuck to it and they run out of money. And what had happened was in this instance, Nehemiah goes, well, what, what do you mean you're, you're, you've had to sell your daughters and, and your sons? And, and what do you mean you, you had to mortgage your lands? And, and what had happened was this. The rich Israelites had taken advantage of the poor ones, and they'd said, oh, you need, you need help? You need some money? Well, I'll tell you what. Sell me your farm, and I'll give you a little money, and then you can rent the land from me. Oh, oh you need a little help? All right, tell, tell you what. Sell me your son as a servant, and I'll, and I'll, you know, I'll pay your other bill. And they would put the fam, the rich guys, they put the, the poor guys out to usury. I mean, they were taking advantage of them. Nehemiah shows up and he goes, what are you doing? Those guys over there are against us. We're on the same team. And you're exploiting your own flesh? Are you kidding me? And he rebukes them all and he commands them to repent. And they have to give the land back and give the kids back. They go, you're so right, we're so wrong. And they totally repent of it. And, and so the builders get encouraged. And the rich guys repent. And then in chapter 6, so the, the, the point is, chapter 5, the provision gets taken care of. And then chapter 6, the enemy really actually comes at them. In chapter 6, here's how, here's how it goes. Five different times, five different times, Sambalat, he contacts Nehemiah five times. He comes at him and says, hey, meet with me. I want to discuss this little building project you're doing. Sends him letters by messengers. The whole idea is he's going to get Nehemiah off the job out there where he's unprotected. He's going to kill him. He's trying to assassinate him. And he's trying to deceive him and talking to him. He's trying to act like he's his friend. And Sambalot's going to get him off the job, get him out there, and destroy him. And so then... Nehemiah says, listen, I got a job to do. I got to sit in the prayer room. I got to believe God. We're going to get a breakthrough here. We got to get this wall built. He goes, I can't be out there running around when I've got this great, great work I have to do. And so then, Sambalot, what he does is he pays a couple false prophets to get on the inside and prophesy doom and gloom to Nehemiah. And, says, and they say, listen, you're going to get assassinated. You need to just go hide in the temple. Until the problems are, are done. And Nehemiah calls him out and says, you are not speaking the word of the Lord. You guys are false prophets. I will not listen to you. And he decides to press through, though the attacks of the enemy are incredible. So the enemy is, you know, first they're going to attack the people. The people figure out a war strategy. They have to fight, and they've got to build simultaneously. And then the enemy just narrows in and and he goes after Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's got to make the decision, I won't succumb to the, the influence and the attack of the enemy. And then in verse 9, here's Nehemiah, he, he gives it twice in this chapter 6. He gives a summary of what the enemy's trying to accomplish. He says, they were all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. 
Now, and then I love, there's Nehemiah's little phrase. He just kind of puts it in there. Now, therefore, oh God, strengthen my hands. Beloved, you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to capitalize on us with fear. He wants to get our, our hearts discouraged, and he wants to utilize fear as the instrument. All the attacks, all the accusations, all the mockeries, it's ultimately to get the people of God in fear. And you've heard it said, fear is the opposite of faith. If he can get you in fear, you're not trusting the Lord. So he tries to get you in fear, but the real reason he wants to get you in fear is so you'll quit. That's it. He just wants you to quit. Just give up, and it'll all be okay. I mean, that's, that's like the, the, the line of the enemy and, and the lies that he tells us. Just stop moving forward, and it's okay. It'll be okay for you. The big problem is that you're doing this and this and this. If you'll just quit what God's telling you, everything will be all right. I tell you what, Christianity, it's not that difficult. This walk, understanding this walk that we have with the Lord is not that difficult. Understanding how to build a house of prayer, it's really not that difficult. It really boils down to one phrase. If you don't quit, you win. It's really that. If you don't quit, you win. The enemy tries to bring fear. He tries to bring discouragement. He tries to bring accusations. Why? To get you afraid and ultimately to get you to quit. But if you don't quit, you win. Nehemiah, when it's, I mean, the, you can imagine the, the intensity of the attack is, that's on him at this point. And he just says, he goes, Lord, they're trying to, they're trying to get me to, to be weak in my hands. They're trying to get me to stop. Lord, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands, oh God. Turning to the Lord and saying, strengthen me through this. Strengthen my hands. And beloved, that's really how the answer to the prayer comes. It, a lot of times, it's not that the attack stops. It's not that the job gets easier. It's that you get stronger through it. Come on. It's not that the enemy all of a sudden just runs away from you. It's not that the work just gets done by itself. Your hands get strengthened through it. And you know what? That's what God is after anyway. He's trying to bring us to maturity. He's trying to strengthen us in the power of his might. I love it. Nehemiah, he prays the prayer, strengthen my hands, O God. Skip down to verse 15. Here it is. So the wall was finished on the 25th day in 52 days. That whole story I just told you took place in less than two months. 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things. They were very disheartened in their own eyes. They were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. I'll tell you what. If we won't quit. If we'll continue to show up. If we'll ask the Lord to strengthen us. I tell you, there's a day coming when the enemy will recognize he's been defeated. That's how it is with every kingdom outworking. There's a place and time when the enemy actually realizes it's over. It's over. 
They've got to back up off of that and try to hit something else because God's people have persevered and seen the working of God all the way to its end. They haven't given up. And when that happens, I love that. They were, the enemy was disheartened. You know what I think? I think it's time that the people of God aren't the ones that are disheartened. But that the end, I'd, I'd love Lucifer to be going, oh, I feel so bad. Well, why do you feel so bad today, Lucifer? The house of prayer in Atlanta, they just won't stop building. and We're losing. I want to see him disheartened. Why should, why should that be the people of God? Let it, let it be the enemy of our soul. Let it not be us. We have a king who's victorious. Beloved, I tell you, though the work is long, though the day gets hot, though the accusations are real and the attacks are many, the Lord will strengthen our hands to see to it that this thing is done and ultimately the enemy's defeated. Beloved, that's it. That's where we're headed. I want to encourage you with this. I feel like this book of Nehemiah, it's a gift to the prayer movement. I'm going to come back next week and, and uh, give you the, the second part of it. It's powerful because you, you actually get to see Malachi's prophecies in with Nehemiah, and you see how this actually plays out for us uh, you know, as we, as we uh, understand the building of the house of prayer. Okay, good. Amen. Let's go ahead and just stand. I tell you, if you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. You know, there's always circumstances. There's always challenges. There's always things you're going through. If you don't quit in God, you win. That's something I've got to remind myself often. If we don't quit, we win. Don't give up. Fight the good fight of faith. Come, Holy Spirit.